Red Rocks Church. If you're excited to be in church this weekend, can you just make some noise? Can we get some praise hand emojis in the chat room, wherever you're watching from? Man, I just want to declare what we just sang a moment ago, that there's going to be a victory in your life. I can declare that this weekend with confidence because the Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, he did so to set the sinners free. And the Bible says that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so I just declare that over your households this weekend, wherever you're watching this from, that the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Jesus, I just thank you for what you're doing in households across America this weekend. God, you're just changing people's lives, turning things around, and I just pray, would you continue the work that you've begun? God, would you continue to do the, the working in through this season? God, this working where it seems like a lot of people are confused, people are out of work, people are, are, are discouraged, they're full of depression and anxiety. Holy Spirit, would you just meet them exactly where they are? And God, my prayer is that your spirit this weekend would liberate people's hearts to the true freedom that's found in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know what's going on inside your life right now, but I feel like there's so many situations that people are walking through that are, are just so weighty. Um, they're confusing and they're complex. And um, one of the things, though, as a byproduct of, of this whole quarantine and shutdown, um, I've been really grateful for a little bit of margin to be able to think and to ponder and to pray. Um, how many of you know we, we get pretty good um, at making our lives overly busy, overly complex, um, overly tiresome, overly worried, overly stressed, overly anxious? I don't know about you. If anybody can identify with that, let, let, give me a, give me a show of hands in the chat room somewhere. If you've ever felt like you're just you, you're really good at making your life overly complex, overly busy. And one of the things that this season has given that I can see a silver lining in what God might be doing in and through this tragic time is he's providing for us some margin to think, margin to reevaluate, margin to reconsider. And so this week I've spent time just thinking as it relates to my own life and our church and our nation and the nation, wherever you're watching this from, I think about the significance of Time and work and family and rest and rhythms. I've been reevaluating stuff on my own terms. And I was thinking about all the people in this season that have lost their jobs. People right now that are mourning or grieving or worried about somebody that is sick or has already passed. Some people that have, have lost their jobs. They've lost their incomes. Any form of security seems to be out the window I'm thinking about businesses that are either temporarily closed or businesses that may never open again and the confusion and the worry that that brings internally. I'm thinking about the people right now that are kind of trapped in, in their own homes, either by yourself or with family or with friends. 
and this season has provided so many opportunities for you to ex be exposed to dysfunction inside of your own heart. There's this, this weird mindset too. We got millions upon millions upon millions of people right now that are stuck inside of their homes because our government or our world system says what you do is not essential. Now that'll play with your mind a little bit because we're literally being told that what most of us do with the, the finest hours of our life and the, the, the greatest hours of our day, it just isn't essential. It's not a, essential to our economy. It's not essential to human flourishing. And think about all of the, the wave of emotions and confusion and inner turmoil that that creates inside of us. It's non-essential. Statistics will say that right now, consumption and purchasing of alcohol um, is skyrocketing. Other statistics say that right now, the consumption of pornography is, is higher than it's been in a very long time. That people right now, more than ever, are running to counselors to get prescription medication for anxiety and depression. People are, just don't know what to do with the struggles internally, and there's just like this freak out internally, not only in America, but around the world. People are, are struggling. I'm also reading stats about the increased amount of violence in our cities and, and domestic violence inside of our homes. It feels like there's almost no safe place. And I, as I've been thinking about all of these things, one of the things that's most complex right now is the fact that you can look inside the church right now, the people, the church, and some of the statistics in this time are pretty consistent. There's not a huge discrepancy between people who would claim to be Christians and people who would identify as not having a religious backing or not knowing Jesus or not having any sort of basis of the scripture. There's not a whole lot of discrepancy between the two. And it's made me start asking the question, what are we missing in my own life, I felt this kind of internal turmoil about like, what am I missing? What is, God, what, what, what is not clicking internally that's making even me, somebody that preaches the good news of the gospel, what's making me internally feel this chaos and this sense of confusion and, and this depressed and suppressed sort of spirit? And I just feel like slimy. Have you, have you been there? Just confused, weighted down. And as I was thinking about this, I started thinking, man, right now our, our governments around the world are deeming and they're sifting through our economies, trying to figure out what's essential and what can we live without and what's foundational and fundamental for us to thrive as a people and, and, and what could we do without? And I think if we're not careful, most of us can go through our lives never asking that question about our own life. You see, our government's asking, what is essential? And yet our, our souls at the same time are going, what is essential? What is meaningful? What is foundational? What can I not do without? Yet I don't know that a lot of us have the tools to necessarily ask those questions. And so it leaves us in this inner turmoil. It leaves us anxious and depressed and afraid and discouraged and confused. And so this weekend, I want to speak on the basis of the Bible as my authority, and what it would deem in our lives as essential. I don't know about you, but I've had so many moments where I've been trying to sift through and process my own life, and 
Start asking the questions. I don't even know where to begin. I look at my Bible and the, the hundreds of pages and the thousands of verses and where do I begin? What should I be focusing on now? And I want to read for us the definition of the word essential. It's going to be up on the screen for you, but the word essential, and I think it's going to help frame for us what I want to communicate this weekend, what I feel like God's placed on my heart. But the word essential means absolutely necessary and extremely important. Absolutely necessary and extremely important. This is what I want to try to reveal to us from the standpoint of scripture. The Bible makes it abundantly clear and very simple with the focus of our perspective of our heart should be during this time. I want to focus on what is essential, essential in a chat room somewhere. Somebody put the word essential. We want to look at what is essential. I can remember traveling with my family. Some of you know my story. I'm, I'm one of eight kids and during our vacation times, we'd always have to funnel into a van and we'd do these long road trips, which were absolutely amazing. And one of the things that my dad would always tell us as we're packing and preparing is he'd say, hey guys, make sure that you don't pack everything that you need. Make sure that you just pack the essentials. Some of you parents are going, yeah, that's right. Just pack the essentials. And this wasn't just like a catchy, cute thing that my dad would say. We had eight kids. So eight kids packing luggage, fitting into one vehicle. Um, space is limited. So when my dad said, just pack the essentials, he meant it. So I can remember times when we go on these road trips and we'd all be packing up what, what we felt was essential. And it's always amazing to see how your brothers and sisters translate what is essential, what I cannot live without, and what I can live without. Because we'd all be coming out with multiple duffel bags packed to the brim, bursting with all the things that we felt like were so essential. We're going to be gone for a week so we'd get back there, loaded up, and eventually every single vacation that we took, my dad would have to go, well, hold the phone for a second. The bags aren't going to fit in the car, so either we can keep the bags or some of you are going to have to stay home from vacation. So then my dad would do what dads do, and he would look at the, the, all the packed bags and he would start to deem what is essential and what is not essential. This you can live without. This needs to stay here. Take that out of your bag. And for whatever reason, my dad would always take my second bag that was full of shoes for every day of the week, and he deemed it non-essential. What I want to do this weekend is help us look at, at the truth of God's word and figure out what is essential for us to take on this journey. What is essential? One of the things that, as I started thinking and praying about this, a few weeks ago when all this stuff started happening, internally, I just started like floundering. It just felt like I didn't have any basis. It felt like I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to believe. Literally, I'm questioning everything from what I do for a living, and I'm making all these weird purchases on Amazon. Literally, one morning, I wake up, and I was just scrolling through Instagram, like sadly I do most mornings. And I'm scrolling through Instagram and I look at this, this guy who's just ripped, chiseled on a beach, doing a yoga pose with a little coconut with a straw and a, an umbrella coming out. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm going like, that guy lives on an island making money, posting yoga pictures. 
And I kid you not, I wake up my wife and I go, babe, I think we got it all wrong. I think we can do this. Like, I think we can uproot our family and go on an island and take pictures and be an influencer and do the thing. And I could just, I could do yoga poses and people will follow it and they'll give us money. I literally did this. And my wife is like, babe, go have a cup of coffee and think this one through. But as you start processing through what is essential, what am I supposed to do? What happens is most of us have translated what we do for a living, what we do from nine to five into who we are. And so when what we do gets disrupted, like every single one of us is experiencing, we start asking the questions, now who am I now that what I do isn't the same? Have you been there? Your rhythm gets disrupted, the the gym gets closed, and now this discipline that you've been building and sustaining, and you're posting pictures of your ripped biceps and your yoga poses, it gets disrupted. What are you supposed to do now? Because most of us are just sitting, waiting for life to get back to normal, And once life gets back to normal, I'll be back. (laughs) I won't have to binge watch my TV shows. I won't have to flounder in self-misery anymore. Like once stuff gets back to normal, everything's going to be good. Like if you haven't gone through a midlife crisis during this quarantine, you haven't done it right. I just floundered internally. And I bet you so many of us right now in this moment, you're still feeling the repercussions of going, what on earth do I do if I can't do what I've always done, then who am I? You see, what am I supposed to do has been a question that people have been asking for thousands of years. And I want to read to you a passage found in John chapter 6, verse 28. And this group of people who just spent time with Jesus, they, they surround Jesus after trying to search for his whereabouts. And in verse 28, they corner him and they say, Jesus, what must we do? Somebody put do in the chat room. What must we do? Watch this. To be doing the works of God. Now, this is a really great question. This is a question every one of us should be asking. And many of you are asking, God, what am I supposed to do right now? Like, what's right in your eyes? What should I be doing? And look at Jesus's response, because this is just crazy. It's just like Jesus to give what feels like an illogical answer to a logical concern. Verse 29 says, Jesus answered them. And he said this, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I don't know about you, but I read something like this and I go, Jesus, you know that I believe in you and I'm still confused. Anybody ever felt that? Jesus, I believe in you, but it doesn't quite seem to translate into a pandemic. Anybody felt like we need to kind of maybe modify our messaging to be a little bit more appropriate for right now. But Jesus goes, I want you, if you want to do the work of God and the will of God, I need you to believe in him whom he has sent, meaning believe in Jesus. What Jesus is going to try to communicate here is what you believe is far more important than what you do. And here's why. Because what I do is born from what I 
believe. The Bible, if you scroll all the way back, scroll, who says that? If you, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, the story starts off with some people asking the same questions. The Bible starts off with a couple named Adam and Eve, God's very first human creation. And the Bible says that, that, that they're sitting there deliberating and they said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so they create Adam. Here Adam is, he's magnificent. He's beautiful, he's perfect. And, and the Godhead, the Trinity's looking at him going like, this is exactly what we wanted. We made him in our image and in our likeness, meaning that he looks like us and he is like us. Now, I want you to think about that. When God created man, he created a perfect being, lacking nothing. And so here Adam is, he eventually has Eve and they're strolling through the garden, fully taken care of. They have no needs. They lack nothing. He is fully satisfied. He is content. He is confident. He is secure. He has eternal life, meaning he will never see death. Like, this guy is the complete package. He, he is absolutely perfect to God. No knowledge of right and wrong doesn't need it. He just has perfect union with God. Now, this doesn't necessarily sound like most of us, but this was God's original intent. And what happened was the Bible says that Adam was tempted. Eve was tempted. And here was the dilemma. When you go and you study uh, in, in, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, here's what happens. They began to come to an understanding through temptation and through deception that I am not, but I could be. I am not, but I could be. Friends, this is exactly when sin entered into the equation. The word sin actually means to not partake in or not to participate in, meaning that Adam and Eve fully could live and abide and be. They could experience the life that God intended to them. And when they sinned, they made a conscious decision to not live in the life that God gave to them, but they were going to create their own. I'm not fully satisfied right now, so, but, I, but I could be. I'm not fully satisfied right now. I, I'm not fully content right now, but I, but I could be, and I could be a little bit more like God. I could create my own standard of living, and I could produce my own life. I'm not right now, but I could be, aka I must do in order to become something better. Think about this. This is perfect man fully satisfied, fully loved, fully known man. And the question came into his heart, I must do in order to become. And then the Bible says that sin entered into the world. And ever since Adam, up until the time of Jesus Christ, man has been asking the question, what must I do to become? Thankfully, I don't have the time to share the entire story, but the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as the second Adam. Because what Jesus Christ tried to do is try to make right everything that went wrong with the first Adam. The first Adam felt, I need to do something in order to become who I'm supposed to be. And what Jesus came to do is he said, no, 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 no. You need to believe unto me and I will make you through your belief in me. I will make you everything that you feel like you lack. 
all your needs will be provided for in me. The belief that I must do to become, Jesus says, as the I am, the one who is self-sufficient, he says, I'm gonna make you just like me again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take away every single thing that would distract you, everything that would separate us, and I wanna make you like me again. I wanna make you secure and confident and unshakable, not because of your efforts, not because of what you do, not because of who you are, not because of how you behave, not because of what you do for a living or don't do for a living or how much money you have or how little money you have. I wanna make you fully secure and confident in this life because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Friends, that's the entire reason why Jesus came to earth to make right what the first Adam made wrong. Friends, but the question inside of our heart is the same exact thing. When a pandemic hits, when tragedy strikes, our, our question in our heart is, what must I do to become what I lack? That's why when the people came to Jesus in John 6, 28, we'll read this again. It says, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. I want to talk to us for the remainder of my time on why what Jesus came to do when we believe in that wholeheartedly, the works of God will be satisfied Lean in. Open your Bible, if you have it, um, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read through a bunch of scripture. And I want to let the scriptures do the heavy lifting of what Jesus was trying to communicate to these people during this time. 1 John 4 chapter 9 says this. In this, in what? In Jesus coming to earth and dying on our behalf, doing what we could not. In this, the love of God was made manifest, aka we could see it and experience it and know it. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world, aka Jesus Christ, watch this, so that we might live through him. I want you to lean in. We could live through him. Lean to your neighbor, make sure they're paying attention and tell them, live through him. Verse 10 says, and this is love. I get so giddy. This is amazing. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. This is a big word. Watch out to be the propitiation. Propitiation just literally means that he restored our perfection in the sight of God is my favorite definition. He restored our perfection in the sight of God. Watch this, for our sins. He was the payment. He made us perfect through his act, not through what we do in the sight of God. Verse 15 goes on and it gives a little bit more clarity. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. Other translations might say, whoever believes that he is the son of God, God abides in him. Now, I want you to just think about this for a second. And I want you to think about this as it related to the first Adam. The first Adam was made in the image and the likeness of God. His inner being was like God and that it was fully satisfied. It was complete. It was in union with God. And what the Bible says is when we believe in what Jesus did, 
God once again abides in us. We could just spend the rest of our lives just thinking about that portion of that one verse of that one sentence. God abides in him and watch this and he in God. It's amazing. Verse 16 says this. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God, that the, uh, sorry, we have believed the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides, say the word abide, circle it in your Bible, underline it, write it on your hand. Whoever abides in the love abides in God. Notice a prerequisite for you to abide with God is that you would know his love. And the way that he demonstrated his love was by giving the greatest sacrifice he could give in his son, Jesus. I don't know if you've ever watched paintings being auctioned off, but you can tell the value of a painting by what the person is willing to bid or willing to pay for that painting. And when it came to you in the middle of your sin, before you could ever clean yourself up, Jesus died, gave himself up, said, I am willing to give of my life. I can't put a, put a quantity to it. I will give of my life to show your value in that. We could experience the love of God. It says, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 17, by this love is perfected in us. It is perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. This is amazing because as he is, he meaning Jesus Christ, as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, I, I need you to help like, understand this because what he's trying to say is, listen, you sinful, broken person, you who, who drank too much on quarantine, you who have been through countless divorces, you who have been in and out of rehab, you who feel like your life is a train wreck when you believe in Jesus and what he did for you. Here's this illogical, incomprehensible exchange. He says, when you believe in Jesus, the perfect, spotless, sinless God in the flesh, Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, just as he was in this life, so are we. Friends, I can't put into words any better news than this. Not based upon your actions, not based upon what you do, but based upon the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ, you are now seen through the eyes of God as spotless and perfect and beautiful and holy as Jesus Christ. Somebody better be putting some hand emojis, clap emojis, raise hand emojis, prayer hand emojis, crazy bus emojis in a chat room somewhere because that, my friends, is good news because when Jesus died upon the cross, some of his final words as he was breathing his last breath is, it is finished. What was he finishing? The Bible says this, he was finishing what the first Adam 
made wrong. Jesus was making right. And for the first time in a long while, human beings were going to be able to stand before God with confidence, just as the first Adam did before he fell. This is really good news for a broken person like me. And I'm just going to make an assumption, a broken person like you. Whoever abides in love abides in God. There's a famous passage of scripture in John 15. And in John 15, 1, Jesus is telling this story. And I want to tell, tell you this because this kind of communicates why a belief in Jesus enables us to do the work of God. How could me just simply believing that he died and did what he said he was going to do and made me right in his eyes, how could me believing that help me to live effectively in this life and to do the work of God in this life? I want to read to you as he explains it in John 15. He uses such beautiful language. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, there's that terminology again, in me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Some of you feel like you're going through a pruning time, and your belief is in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, oftentimes the pruning seasons are so that you can bear more fruit in the next season. So keep going. Sometimes the pruning is the greatest sign of the love of God. So keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop short so that you can produce more fruit. And I love this. Watch in verse three. Already you are clean. I want to speak that over some of you right now in the middle of your struggles, in the middle of your addictions, in the middle of your bondage. You need to believe that already you are clean in the eyes of God, not because of your actions, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And this is why this is important. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then verse four says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Notice that you want to do the works of God. You can't bear fruit by yourself. Watch this. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Prerequisite, I got to believe that the love of God was displayed for me on the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I live in that reality that I'm perfect in his sight, fruit begins to be a natural byproduct of my life because I now see myself as God sees me. Verse five says, I am the vine and you are the branches, AKA don't get it confused. You don't produce fruit. I produce fruit through you. Now this is different than most of us think because we struggle and we grunt and we grind to try to produce fruit from our lives. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it says, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this language. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, when I think about John 15, abiding in the vine, remembering that I am just a branch 
and a vine that produces fruit through me. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a human. I remember back to the garden with Adam. The Bible says that he just abided in the love of God for him, the care of God for him. He just fully trusted which means to remove your cares, be careless, act carelessly in the care of God. And here Adam is living carelessly in the care of God. Friends, this was the original intent for you and me, especially in the midst of chaos. Here's what this looks like. When the Bible talks about abiding in the vine, he literally means, I want you to just slow down. I want you to just think about your life from the lens and the viewpoint that that right now, unemployed, right now, struggling through your own sins, right now, trying to figure out how to be a good parent, right now, trying to figure out how to climb out of debt and how to get a job and how to restart your business and, and how to get well internally, right now, through the eyes of God, You lack nothing to me is what the word says. I wonder for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, how this might translate through the rest of our life. If we could just sit and abide in the fact that in the eyes of God, because of Jesus Christ, I stand before him spotless. And though I might fall, the Bible says that God, because of Jesus, no longer is in the business of keeping a record of all of your wrongs. So when I fail, I'm once again reminded of the grace and the mercy of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is what the book of Romans says. Friends, can I just encourage you, some of you, by abiding in what Jesus did for you, reiterating the finished work of Jesus that you don't need to do to become, but he already did, so you are. For me, this is what abiding has looked like. I'm driving in my car, I'm walking down the street, I'm exercising, I'm spending time with my kids, and I just remind my heart, Jesus, thank you that I am the righteousness of God because of what you did for me on the cross. I thank you that the God that fashioned and formed everything loves me so deeply and so dearly. And if you love me like that, what could I lack? All of my needs you will provide. I wonder the contentment and the fruit that would come from your life. Friends, he says that the cleaning and the cleansing in John 15, he he already did that because of the word that he spoke over you. And he says the fruit that comes from your life is not from you, but it is because you are abiding in the vine. And I love this because it continues to go on in Galatians 5. There's this remarkable passage of scripture, and I'm going to end with this. This is why a true and and, and a redefining belief in who Jesus is changes everything with your life. It says this in Galatians 5.19. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Remember, sin is the deliberate choice to not participate or to not partake in the life of God. He says, when you follow the sinful desires to go and find life on your own, to make yourself right and perfect and true on your own, when you do this, 
He says that the results are very clear. Listen to the fruit of you trying to do to become. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. He says idolatry and sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Some of you are like, that sounds like my house right now. Listen, because he's going to give the remedy. Hostility and quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Come on, somebody. Selfish ambition, dissension, division. Verse 21 says envy and drunkenness. And then he says wild parties. And I picked this translation because it's a little bit more PG. It has a little bit of a sexual undertone there. Wild parties and other sins like these. So he says, listen, when you try to follow in your sinful desires, when you make a conscious decision to have life and to find perfection and to do things correctly in your own strength, to produce your own life and not lean into the life and life to the full that I give to you. Every time you lean into that, here's the byproduct Can I encourage you for some of us right now that are struggling in our homes with addictions? There's no peace in your home. There's no joy in your home. There's no mercy in your home. There's no contentment in your home. The Bible says that when we pursue to do life on our own, when we take matters into our own hands, when we feel that we need to do to become instead of he did, so I am. The fruit of our life is all these sins. But he doesn't stop there. I love what he says in verse 22. In verse 22, he says this, but the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit produces, not me, this kind of a fruit in our lives. Watch this. Even the fruit from your life is not produced from you. It is produced from the Holy Spirit. He says, this is the kind of fruit that gets produced from the Holy Spirit within you. When you can learn to abide, he says, love is produced. Joy is produced. Peace is produced. Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of these are produced not by your works, but by the Holy Spirit. It is his job to produce fruit in your life. It's amazing. And then he says this. This is amazing. He finishes verse 23 and he says, there is no law against these things. He's saying, listen, God's not going to be up in heaven going, you better love better. It's the fruit of my spirit. You better have more peace during this time. Prove to me that you got me in you. Have more patience, have more self-control, more long-suffering, more kindness. You better muster these up. That's not what the Bible says. He says it's the Holy Spirit's job to produce fruit in your life. Can I free you up in this time where you're going, man, it feels like I just can't do this thing. Can I encourage you? You were never intended to in the first place. Friends, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he took away everything in my life. 
It says in order to be full, in order to live right, in order to be more, in order for God to want me, in order to produce life within me, do more. I gotta do more. When Jesus died on the cross for me and he died on the cross for you, he said that way of living and relating to me is finished. Now, for those of you that believe that what he did worked, what he did mattered, what he did changed everything just abide in it friends I know that there's tragedy right now and there's pain right now but God's given us such a gift you being stuck in your home is a gift just abide remind yourself of every truth that you know about the love of God just abide just soak in it let it renew the way that you think and the Bible says that the byproduct of abiding in what he did your natural response the Holy Spirit will produce fruit in your life friends this list of fruits Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't care how much money you have. If you could have these, you'd give it all away. I don't care what kind of a job you have. If you could have these, you'd give it all away. You'd live in poverty. You'd live on an island secluded alone. If you could have these fruits and Jesus is going, you can, but it's not by your work. It's by the work of the spirit of God inside of you made available because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. Not only are you cleansed because of what he did, but your fruit comes from what he did. Neither require you to do to become. It is what he did that allows us to say in this moment, I lack nothing. It reminds me of the words of the psalmist. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack no thing. Red Rocks Church, if the Lord is your shepherd and you've placed your belief in Jesus Christ, can I tell you, you lack nothing. So abide in the finished work. Now, everything that I get to do, be a pastor, doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define my identity. I just get to do it from my true identity of being clean and whole and at peace, full of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. Those are the fruits of my life. I didn't have to work on them at all, but it was the Holy Spirit's power alive within me. In homes around the world, I wanna just encourage you, would you just close your eyes? I wanna pray for some people this weekend that have never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You've been living under the weight of all of your sin, all of your mistakes, your worst failures of things that happened to you or were done by you. You live under that burden. The Bible says that the yoke or the burden and the weight of Jesus Christ is easy and it is light. I wanna extend that to you today. 
that in this moment, because of what Jesus did, you can have wholeness and rightness and completeness before the eyes of God, not based upon your behavior, but based upon what Jesus did. If that's you, wherever you're watching this from, if you're in your home, I just wanna encourage you, would you just raise your hand as a symbol and a sign before God that outwardly you're identifying with something that's about to happen inwardly. If you're watching on a chat room, would you just click the raise hand button? Just let us know that you're responding right now. I'm believing that hands are going up all over the world and living rooms around the world right now as people respond to the grace of God, the divine influence of the love of God on humanity. This is you. This is your moment. The Bible says that let today be the day of salvation. Don't wait for another moment. Don't wait to clean yourself up. Let Jesus do it for you in this season. Right now, if that's you, the Bible says that you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, meaning he's conquered sin, he's conquered death in your life, and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead on your behalf, the Bible says you will be saved. God, I pray right now for every single person that's raised their hand, those that were too afraid not to. God, I pray that this would be the day of salvation on their behalf, that today the Bible says that Jesus, when you come in and we put our belief and our trust and our faith in what you've done, the old things pass away and newness comes. It's like a rebirth. You wipe the, the slate clean of everything we've done and no more, the Bible says, will you keep a record of right and wrong. No more will our behavior keep us from you, but your grace will meet us all the more. And God, it is your grace, the divine influence of God upon our hearts that will produce fruit in due season, not by my works, but the Bible says through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so God, I just celebrate this moment with people around the world. God, people that are turning old into new, that people are being reborn. People are starting fresh because of what you did. Jesus, we thank you. We celebrate what you did for us. It is good news. And it's news because it's finished and it is done. And today, God, we don't work from the posture of I must do to become. Today, we believe that you did, so I am. 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 We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and everybody in chat rooms and living rooms around the world said, amen, 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 amen. Hey, I wanted to celebrate with you. If you just made that commitment to follow Jesus, welcome to the family. I also wanna say, if you did that, text the word Red Rocks to the number on the bottom of the screen. We wanna give you a devotional and walk with you during this time. Make sure we can answer any questions. Also, if you wanna make a difference right now in a time where it's very difficult to make a difference, we want to encourage you. Would you consider partnering with us financially? There's never been a better time to give. You're stuck in your home. You can give and make a difference like our senior pastor, Sean, just told us about. You can also give by texting the word Red Rocks to 25827. Last but certainly not least, if you need prayer, you got a whole army and family members at Red Rocks Church that would love to walk with you in this time, you can text the word Red Rocks to 25827 and we wanna walk with you. Friends, we're about to sing of the radical love of God for far too long. Our view of Christianity has been about our love to him 
But really what changes us is when we understand his love for us. So we wanna create a moment in your home, wherever you're watching this from, to create space for you to abide in the love of God and let him change you. Let him produce fruit from your life. We pray for you. We're, we're, we're believing that God's gonna do some amazing things in your home. Let's worship and reflect on the love of God for you and the love of God for me. Let's worship.